Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. Today, I talked to Sunny Coverwall, who has been an entrepreneur for nearly his entire career and is currently the founder and CEO of Everscouts. Everscout's mission is to help families raise responsible kids and learn life lessons not normally taught in schools. Uh, yes, please. I need the help. He is a lawyer, a fashion model, I think one of the first sick fashion models, and a participant in Global Music Act Thievery Corporation. But most importantly, he is my old friend. We actually met in India while he was building one of the earliest e-commerce fashion companies exclusively in, and, uh, you know, he made the smart decision to hire me. Guys, I can't even recall all the epic and ridiculous stories we have together working there, but I am so happy we got a chance to catch up this week. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with Sunny Caberwall. All right, let's just start off with Everscouts. So congrats. Uh, you guys launched recently. Yeah. Yeah, we, we've, been, we've been building this for a while, actually. But um, we just put a site together and started kind of talking about it um, just, just like a week or two ago. Yeah, it's ama- it looks amazing. So quickly, the mission is to help families raise responsible kids, which is key, and teach them life skills they don't learn in schools. And obviously that we don't have a playbook for, which we absolutely do not. So let's start at the beginning. I want to assume the impetus for even thinking about this space is because you are a parent yourself and you have three kids. And we all know parenting is is a little confusing. We talked last year a little bit about you getting into something that had to do with teaching kids in a unique way. I don't think ever scouts had started back like last year when we, when we talked. So Kind of tell me about the beginnings of it and then the launch. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I had I had been thinking about this for for a long time with my co-founder Nick. Um, he, you know, we moved back from India, and someone had posed the idea to us about what would the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts look like if they were started today. And I thought that was a really interesting idea because, you know, anything that hasn't been reimagined in a hundred years and a world has changed so much over the last hundred years, probably worth a new look. Um, but we didn't do anything about it. And then because, you know, everyone had life going on. And then over COVID time, um, yeah, everyone, like almost everyone, we were mostly parents. Uh, everyone was at home trying to explain. You got a good close look at what kids are learning in your own house. I, uh, if you had told me a few years ago that everyone in the whole world would stop going to school for a year and just do it remotely, um, I would I would never could never have imagined such a thing. But the more we saw about what the kids are learning, um, and at the same time we're we're seeing George Floyd, we're seeing all these big movements, we're seeing this divisive um, political environment. There weren't a lot of good ways to explain and understand what the world looks like. How do you navigate around that world? Um, and I could see that that's not what school is really designed to teach our kids. And um, it got us thinking what 
what should school look like? What should education um, look like? Uh, so we went and Nick and I started talking about this again. Like, where did kids used to learn um, life skills? Um, and they used to learn it from, you know, religion and the scouts and things of that nature. And so we thought about this idea again and went to my um, dean of students from Duke. She had been there uh, at Duke. She's a legend. Her name's Dean Sue. That's it. Okay. Dean Sue. Um, she had been at Duke for over 40 years. Wow. Um, and so that's, so she's like an OG, but she's seen, and she's been living in the dorms for many of those years. And so she has seen 42 straight 18 year olds who are Duke kids, you know, and she's like the control group, but she can see two generations of American society and how it's changed. I asked her, I was like, what do I need to teach Rania, Arman and Arjun? What do they need to know by the time they get to you? What time they get to be a freshman in college when they're out of the house? And I had some ideas around it. And she said very simply, the thing that's missing more than ever is um, is kids being able to take care of themselves and take care of other people. And that's what responsibility is. She's like, you can teach your kids that, you'll be just fine. Um, and I thought that was really almost like a first principle good idea. Made a lot of sense me the problem is the programs that they're in now aren't designed for that it's not about school i love i love our kids school but that's not what the purpose of school is um so we so we hired a um a team to help us start thinking about that like what does responsibility mean it's a big word but it's not like um i think we all would love for our kids to be responsible and ourselves to be responsible and what we what we begin to extrapolate out of that is what are the kind of key principles. And so on the taking care of yourself, it means self-awareness. Um, it means self-control means problem solving, but even on when it comes to others, it means things like tolerance, empathy, and social awareness. Um, and those are a lot of times thought of as soft skills, but the more research we did into this area, um, the more we realized, that those skills can be practiced. They could be actually hard skills. You could practice being empathetic to people. You could practice self-awareness. You could practice problem solving. You can even practice tolerance and inclusion. Um, so the big idea was like, what if we could, you know, get better at these things in a like tactical way, the way that I have my kids thinking about like maybe coding or soccer or something like that. What if they actually started by practicing these skills from a young age? And um, I think of it as like this life skills gap that exists. And I don't know how to do that as a parent. Like, we're, I mean, you know, we, we're just, you just have kids and then you're like, okay, you survive. Yeah. yeah, forever. And you only have the kids that you have. You have such small data points. That's why I actually asked Dean Sue. She'd seen 300,000 18-year-olds. So we started building out what this playbook would look like. And then we also started doing what would, um, wh how, what is the best way of learning this in this day and age? Because it seems like not only what kids learn, but how they learn it needs to change. So what are the best ways? What are things that kids want to do? In the future, it seems clear that I don't, no one wants to make their kid, force their kid to do anything because no adult wants to be forced to do anything. So what would they want to do? How do they learn? How do they learn from each other versus someone just talking at them? How did they learn through experience? 
So we did a, a bunch of research on mapping these skills to ways of um, teaching. And we stood up a, um, a program in my hometown here in California. Um, and we tested it with our own kids and, and um, kids in our community. And they loved it. They had so much fun. But they came out of it talking about things like self-awareness. And like, if my kid was like losing it, they would have the tools to be able to control. You know, that's for, for a third and fourth graders right now. Um, it was really a transformational experience. Um, and so then we were like, everyone's like, well, what do we do now? We want this. We need this program. Um, kids are going back to school. So we're like, all right, well, how does this look as it in the digital era? Um, these are all digital natives. Um, and the power of technology, no one wanted Zoom school. Like, no one wants Zoom school. The idea of Zoom school seems terrible. Um, but I think one of the major mistakes that I hear is that, like, we conflate the idea of what Zoom school was with, like, screens being bad. It's almost like when Sesame Street was started, and there was a documentary about it called Street Gang, which is really amazing. Was there really? It's, it's, it. You have to see it. It's incredible. Okay. It, okay. it feels similar. I feel very aligned with how what was going on that people were like tv is bad children should not watch it it's an awful situation um and and this woman was like well my kids like to watch it what if we just put good content on it and so they did she for the first time brought together entertainment professionals and people in content and people in education to work together to make content that could in a fact in a way teach kids about things like um race and inclusion that's why Sesame Street on a street versus like in a house, you know, or a very specific, you know, style of learning. And they were talking about things like race intolerance and inclusion far before anyone else through this kind of narrative driven character led way. Right. Um, you know, everyone feels very connected to Blue's Clues and like Mr. Rogers. But what's like the Gen Z or Gen Alpha Mr. Rogers look like? And I think this right. like ties into the way when people talk about like the educational metaverse, like interactive content that kids just opt into. I think metaverse is already confusing to me. So yeah. You know, it's but, not that confusing really. Like the way, when I think about it now, it's like, you know, I, I you, you watch interactive, like black mirror interactive shows. Right. Remember that? Or like kids watch it all the time with their interactive Minecraft shows. Um, interactive content is increasingly going to be, playable. I mean, that's what like choose your own adventure was, right? And the decisions that you make in that experience are a lot like a game. And, and so you have this ability to have agency, to have a group of people to learn through the decisions that you make and see what the outcomes are. And that is kind of what the metaverse means, or at least how we're thinking about it. Um, so we did it over the, we did it over the fall. It was fantastic. Again, we have like, you know, just under a hundred families who are working together. Um, they've been going for, for now three cohorts, um, week long programs. Um, and we're like, all right, this, this feels like it's working. And now let's talk to, um, let's see who else is interested in this. Uh, no, it's amazing. So I, I wanted to go back to that really quickly because, and obviously you guys emphasize that digital tools are the future, which they are. Um, but like you mentioned, and just wanted you to expand on it a little bit, a lot of parents are going to be like, 
well, this is just another way for kids to get on screen. And this is not real life. This is not socialization. Yeah. It's just another way to play games. Yeah. Right. So if you can go back to that a little bit and what would, how would you answer that? Yeah. I think that we, we would, um, I'd unpack that in a couple of different ways. First is technology. Anytime you use anything, there should be a reason why you're doing it. Right. Um, so for technology, it enables you to do three things like that you can't do without technology, right? It enables you, and this is the number one thing, it, re- it enables you to teach kids to their level at the appropriate level, like adaptive tools. Like when you're sitting in school right now, there's one teacher and maybe call it 30 kids, right? Right. And so one teacher can only teach to one level. You know, we can maybe reach three or four kids. For some kids, it's too hard. And for some kids, it's too easy. And that's why, and, and the thing is, it changes with each subject. A kid could be good at math. They could be terrible at art or gymnastics or whatever it may be. And what ends up happening is people sometimes are like, well, if I go to a private school, the student-teacher ratio matters, which it does matter, right? Your percentage likelihood of getting good content matters. But if you had adaptive tools that taught you right at the edge of your abilities, you have this incredible ability to go, wow, I can, I am good, which I think all children are really smart. We can teach kids at any ability and you can grow them correctly. Right. So that's like major thing that only technology can do through, through, you know, essentially understanding this quantification. So that's why it makes sense. You have to be like, how is this kid performing at this level? You're not good or bad. It's not like this is an SAT score. It's a quantification to go, what, what should I give them next so that they can progress in their journey of skill development? That's the number one thing that technology can do. The number two thing is, um, obviously you can create interactive experiences that can't be done in the real world. Um, and the third thing, which I think is really important is you can't just, you know, one of the things that people do and you make a decision about, I'm going to move, live in, you live in Greenwich, right? People live in Greenwich famously because they want to be in a good school system or be around a certain kind of person. Um, but that's really hard to make really accessible to lots of people. And so when you are able to expand and find the right, a teacher that fits your student style because they're anywhere, um, that only happens through technology. And, and you know, it, it's self-evident when you think about it like that, for, again, from first principles. But right now we've just conflated. I don't want my kids staring at a screen all day, which I don't either, right? But you remember when? Um, you remember when we went to India in 2010? And do you, I know you remember this. We were like, everyone would laugh at us when they're like, "You're going to build an internet company." They're like, people on the internet don't, but people in India don't buy things on the internet, right? And I don't mean like regular, like venture capitalists were like, right. "You don't understand, Sonny." that people in India aren't like this. And I was like, I mean, like li- everywhere around the world, people seem to buy this. There's if nothing you build about- it, they will come. Let's talk about Indian people's DNA that doesn't like good deals, you know, and like, you know, convenience. It's actually a requirement. So, yeah. In 10 years from now, you're going to look back. We're all going to look back and go, oh, 2020 is the equivalent of the financial crisis of 2008. All of education and the way we learn and what we're thinking is going to change. And it's all going to start when we all have to stop. And there are people like Dean Sue and Fish Stark who's on our team joining up with people like Sam and I who are t- from a technology background and people like Marissa who comes from an entertainment and um, publishing background. And all these people are like, hmm, maybe what we learn and how we learn it should change. 
Yeah, I think I think it's scary. Uh, I mean, change is scary for any any kind of major industry, but for education and changing the way kids are taught. That's you know, people will be hesitant, and they they're doing it. We're forced to do what we have been doing it, but I think it's a slow burn with with that, just because it has to do with your kids. And then my last skeptical, cynical, whatever the word is, question: What would you say to parents that come to you and say, "Well, these." adaptive skills, these life skills that you're, that, you know, that Ever Scouts um, is trying to help out with, that should be coming from parents, from the families. That's how it was back in the day. Uh, a couple of things. One is um, families, it, this, I mean, it's, it's actually like pretty well-defined research that like, you know, a lot of the learning comes from, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. That's a saying for a reason, Right. Right. Um, you what you learn is really you need someone in your life. If your parents aren't around, remember you have a coach that took an interest in you or a uh, teacher that was really important to you. Um, the ability to process with an adult is a really foundational part of learning. That's actually why we think that having professionals involved, having these guides is really important. But ultimately, one of the the core facets of this is the tools that we're building for parents. And games is the other thing, you know, people are like, oh, games are bad. You know what um, some of our experts have told us when we're like, what are you hopeful about? They're like, kids now, younger children have a much higher kind of growth mindset. And a lot of experts in education believe that's because of game, video games. Because games are a low but not no stakes way of practicing a skill of being able to go, okay, I can get back up and do it again. I failed, I can back up and do it again. And so um, think about, it's it's hard when you say video games because you're like, oh, I see my kid and they're engaged and they look like a zombie and that just doesn't seem right. I mean, you feel guilty automatically, right? Yeah, but like, what if that game, This remember it's like TV, what if that game actually taught them something? Like, what if it was actually like helpful for them? Like, you don't feel that way about team sports. Right, like basketball. Think like Coach K. People famously understand that Coach K basketball is a way to learn life skills. A lot of people do hiring based on: Do you understand team dynamics? Do you understand social awareness and empathy? And they're all a lot of these things are tactical byproducts of playing games. And a lot of people are increasingly beginning to understand the power of games with critical decision making and its parallel to life. That you know, if you don't win, there are rules, there are other people, you have to understand how they interact, there is a strategy, there are consequences for the decisions that you make, and, and your progress in this game is not just with decisions you make, but understanding the context of how everyone is laid out. Okay, so I actually wanted to get into the uh, kind of how does it work. So it, it seems like from what you're saying... There's a weekly class. It's kind of like these kids get into like scout troops and they have like weekly meetups. Is that how it works with different classes? And then also, how have how did you guys find your guides? Is that what you call them? Yeah. So, um, so the three things that basically make up the program today. The first is you do act, there are activities that you do. There are little videos you watch. Um, we have a whole content studio in New York that's made up of a bunch of the really comedians who, and remember the Sesame Street parallel? So it starts with like research brief from an education team. 
Okay. Um, and and then it then goes to a script writer, a team of script writers, and they create like content around it. So they're little two minute videos that, that kids watch that are really like tying to this broader narrative that oh. are really funny. They're kind of TikTok style. And then um, they have a they have like a an activity or a game that they do related to the idea, the concept. You could think about it like um, like a Sudoku style like activity or a skills challenge or something like that. Like one of them was like, you need to build this thing and film yourself and create a piece of content of you doing this thing. And they do that and they basically operate as a troop and they earn points for doing those things. And then every week they get together and they hang out with their guides. And the guide, the guides basically do game-based interactive activities. So they might be doing something like a, a virtual escape the room um, or something inspired by Red Dead Redemption, but not the same, obviously. But like they're like, like a game mechanic that's built through where kids basically have the, they have to, they play a role. Other people have a role. Um, they use, um, a bunch of interactive tools to navigate the game. And along the way, they have the ability to process that with someone who's a professional. So how many do you have? How many guides do you have right now? So we have four guides right now. Um, all of them have, uh, a undergraduate degree at least in education and most of them have a master's degree in in education typically focused on social emotional learning but mostly what they have is uh, a lot of experience and training working with children and also working with digital tools so everybody gets training on like uh, online digital facilitation um, and and really they just got to be fun like the two main things about this thing is is it fun like do people want to do it and does it work which we can, which we can actually measure. Um, but the last, the last part. So there's the daily things that kids do. There's the weekly things that kids do. Um, every week there's like a world that drops inside of an app and they, they navigate through this world. Is this the Eververse? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Am I, yeah. did I make that up? Okay. Yeah. All right. You cool. can see it. And then, um, and every week the third, the third key component is the parent part. So we basically text you. Your guide will text you. My guide's Connor and Connor texts me. And I'll tell you an example of how this is relevant. He's like, Hey, we're doing, um, Rock Scout Week, which was the first week in the Eververse. Um, and they do, um, one of the activities was like an affirmation and one was like a goal setting thing. And, and in that goal setting thing, it turns out like Rania had set a goal I wasn't aware of. Rania had been like, I want to learn how to play guitar. And she's like, this is why I want to learn how to play it. And this is what I would do. And this is how it worked. And well, she obviously made- she wants to start a band with you. So yeah, it's a tough. Totally. The thing is, I didn't know that because she hadn't brought it up to me. And actually, Connor sent me her plan. He texted me her plan. And he's like, oh, yeah, Ronnie's doing really well. And Ronnie starts guitar next week. And that's a practical, specific way in which, you know, this kind of um, joint experience between Connor, myself, and Rania has been a really important growth because I saw what Rania was doing. She gets feedback. I'm able to support what she's looking to do. But Everscouts is her little world, you know? Maybe a place where she can be, I don't know if the word is more open or like, I mean, she's she's able to talk to a different kind of mentor. Yeah. I mean, that was the idea. That is the idea. That like, there's some stuff that your kids don't want to talk to you about or maybe they're not ready to talk to you about. And in a way... The guy, because they're a professional who really understands development. Like, uh, here's another example. She had an experience at school where, um, 
somebody wasn't being nice to her. And the thing is, I'm like, I don't know. It's, I, I, I want to be there for her and I always have her side, right? That's my role is to always have her side. But that's a complicated thing to talk through. You know, what does a third grade girl on the playground's emotions do? And what, how should she handle that? And you see how tolerance isn't just about accepting stuff. It's about accepting things that don't go your way. And how do you handle that? And how do you think about it? Um, and she has a person who knows what that's like when it comes to working with children. You know, and sometimes kids are just exploring their boundaries. So what should she do? They armed her with a set of tactical things that she should do and what she should say and how she should go through it. And, and this is all through the app, by the way. I, I, I did, was not aware of this until it came to my radar. That's amazing. Can Rania call Anya? Because this is what's happening to us right now. And my mother, my mother's advice when I was in third grade and got bullied all the time was just ignore them. Just walk away. I was like, yeah, still need therapy for it. Mom, thanks. <laughs> That's to some extent a cultural thing. It's, it's yeah, totally. But like, you know, it's not always just walk away. How do you handle it? So when Rania got the control, the ability to feel like she had agency, agency is a big deal for kids. You know, and that's why games are a big deal where they're able to explore. You ever notice when your kids play Roblox, they're just exploring and walking around. You never notice that avatars are a big deal for them. I didn't know any of this before I started this, by the way, but I spent, I spent 12 hours a day on this for the last year. It, and I do it with my own kids, but I also do it with like 75 other kids. I know all the families and they do it because it gets them be, try on new things, be new people. And this is all developmentally appropriate. That doesn't, the same thing that works for a third and fourth grader isn't appropriate for a kindergartner, isn't appropriate for a fifth and sixth grader. What are the ages, by the way, Sunny? What ages are you guys looking at? Currently, the program is for third and fourth grade. Okay. Um, and so our goal, you know, in the big picture, I, I think that when we rethink what we're learning and how we're learning it, I, I don't think that school and learning is the domain of young people. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like college is kind of wasted on the young, where you're mm-hmm. like, hey, learning is fun, but learning has to be fun. It has to start as fun when you're young around things that feel useful to you. So what Manya is like learning, oh man, I'm learning how to deal with these situation that's not going my way, man, that's powerful. Like if that I is. was building a, an environment, an education environment, I would start with this stuff. I yeah. would talk on the Pythagorean theorem later. Like PEMDAS is cool. Yeah. Like understanding that is interesting and relevant. But what I really need for my family and my child and frankly myself is to learn these skills and they take practice over a long period of time. That's why they do daily activities. That's why they have weekly processing times. And that's why you have to want to do it through this interactive content. Well, it seems like, yeah, it seems like Rania, I mean, like, she's already like 10 steps ahead of me. I'm still like dealing with agency because I feel like I never, you know, with our parents and just like you said, culturally, it was never, it's never one of those things you talked about. So it seems like Ever Scouts, you know, you, you know, they have the family, you have school, but then this is like a third kind of support system that g- gives another perspective, I guess, right? Remember, that's how Scouts was. You got your troop, you got a group of people, but maybe the group of people doesn't have to go to your school. Maybe there are other like we're, we're doing another troop with just my friends from college. It starts on Monday, right? And it's all these kids who all, their parents all hung out together. And that's a fun idea because I'm like, man, I, you know, I don't see my friend Nitten's kids, but I, I really want our kids to be able to be together and learn together and have, you remember, so I have three things that I care about in my worldview. One is 
you know, um, culture and identity. Like, do kids see themselves in the books that they read at South Asians? You know, that matters a lot to me. I care a lot about that. Um, community, you know, how do we bring people together? And, and one of the things that matters about community is small recurring group gatherings. That's it. That's the secret right there. You want to do it? Go do a project together in a small recurring group gathering. Gathering. It's the nature of church. It's the nature of the military. It's the nature of the gang. It's the nature of anything. Work, school. And then you got an education. Those are the three things that w- that I think are, can be really powerful um, for our family. So two quick questions on, on Everscouts, because I want to make sure we get to a little bit of India talk and then a little bit of uh, Sunny talk. So I know you said you didn't mean to have another start and launch another business, a startup, but what has been uniquely different about building Everscouts than the other businesses you've built in the past? And then also, you know, obviously you've built many businesses, you're a serial successful serial entrepreneur. Um, how have you changed as an entrepreneur during this experience? Yeah, I think that this is very different and that, you know, you evolve every time. Um, every time you're doing something, I, I, you always want to be growing and learning. Honestly, that's why I care so much about education. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't know we could do these things when I was a kid. And that's why, I, that's honestly why I care so much about it. If I knew that was the case, um, you know, you would have done stuff, maybe you would have learned stuff differently. You would have prioritized things differently. And like, for me, I had to think about what is it that I care about? And I didn't set out to start this business. It's actually a result of, of um, putting together two very specific kinds of filters. We all, all people, not me, all people have so much agency. You could do anything you want to do. The question is, what do you want to do? And, and if you, whatever you do want to do, everyone needs guiding, guidance and support, right? So where do you find that? Yeah, but the best way is to do the things you care about. So I took this worldview. It took me a while. I mean, a long time to think about this, um, over, um, over, well, during COVID. There's nothing else is going on in the world. It's like, um, you know, culture and identity mattered. You know, community, it's what matters to, to me and to my family. And, and education. And then also, how do I want to operate? How do I want to live my life? And I, I know that I want to spend as much time as I can with the people that matters to me. So my, obviously, Breathy matters, my family matters, and I want to work with people. My friends matter a lot. And I love working with people who I think are not only my friends, but super talented. So honestly, I went through and I just try to put those things together. Um, you know, last time I talked to you, I was looking at something different. It was around like culture and identity. It was really supporting on, her, on a project she was working on. Um, and this fell out of those passions. I'm working with most of the people on my team have I've worked with before. Think about it. Dean Sue from Duke is, is now working with me on this project. She was like my mentor when I was 18 years old. She's known me for 20 some years, you know? We're talking because I've known you and I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I want to, I, I not only want to support, I want to learn more about this area. That's so fun to me. I get to work with my children on a thing that really matters to me and I get to show them. It's not just like telling them you need to find what you love and do it. You got to show that's what you're doing. Do they understand what dad is doing? 
Oh, I mean, it's, it's so cool because if nothing else, I'm, they know that I tell them every day, I'm like, this might not work itself out. And they've seen it work out and they've seen it not work out. And I'm like, you know what? If I don't pick myself up and I don't do the work, and they know I'm like, I'm not, I'm actually not around that much because I'm here working all the time. Right. And, and they know they can see it and they can uniquely participate in it. Their friends participate in it. And I think that's a way of like looking at empowerment and agency that I want um, for them because I want it for me. I think that's so special. Like, I, of course, you know, dad's busy and, and they probably they want to be around you more. But the fact that they are involved with what you're doing and that you're talking to them about it, I think is super powerful and makes it easier for them to accept, you know? Um I know uh, we met in 2010. You founded and exited one of the earliest e-commerce fashion companies in India, as well as one of the first direct-to-consumer fashion brands in the country. And you obviously hired me the best decision you've ever made. Um, okay, so the company, which I didn't know any of this till I read it online, raised nearly 20, 20 million from investors at the time of its acquisition in 2012. That's amazing. I don't know how I didn't know that. Okay. Um, building a business in India as an American, uh, very unique journey, kind of a general question and you may need a minute to think about it, or you may just have this on the top of your head. Tell me about some of the highs and lows you remember from that time. Yeah, no, it was, and it was like a lifetime ago. You know, it's funny when you see people like, you know, we were different when you grow and you're trying to grow, like constantly evolve. One of the things that's really always important to understand is not only am I like a foundationally different person. I was 12 years ago. But, you know, I, the the thing I l remember most, the high of, of it is it gave me a really specific understanding and awareness of, uh, of, of what an in, in immigrant experience was like, of why that's really powerful. I, I have to tell you, I would never understand it in the same way what it's like to feel a sense of community because you have moved to a different place. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I live in Lafayette, California right now. You know why I live in Lafayette, California? Community? No, no. Not, I live in Lafayette, California for, for a very specific reason. Now it's because of a great community. But um, I met someone in India who is, was an American guy from this area. And we had a, an investor and exclusively in knew this person who was around our age named Adam Smith. And we had brunch together in Delhi because that's what you do if you meet an American. You're like, oh, while you were while, while you I, were there at EI, yeah, while I was exclusively in, and we had a fantastic brunch. It went all day and all evening, and we, as those things tend to do, and they had these dogs, and I was like, oh my gosh, so great! If they ever have a puppy, we'll take one. That's how we got Rivington, our puppy. Remember, Karen got one, and yeah, came back visited them over time and we had such a shared connection over our experience in India that we moved to this town, right? Wow. Didn't and the connections and relationships that you build when you're living abroad in that way is very much how I can see how my parents operate. Right. My dad still goes to places. He had the most incredible, we were in Malibu for New Year's and there's a guy named Dr. Marwa who, and my dad was early OG um, East Coast in early seven, late sixties, early seventies. But the people who came before him, he knows who they were. He went and he told me, "I knew he would do this." He's like, you know, I heard there's this guy. He lives here. He knew all about him. I we drove up to his house. This man is in his late eighties, 
right? He's a legend. And he was one of the first, might have been the first sick doctor in, 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 in the United States. We drove to his house, rang the doorbell, and not only was he there, but we said that the rest of the day, we hung out and I watched them talk about their, their experiences, you know? It's amazing. It was amazing the connection that um, the, the immigrant community that I grew up in has. And it's something that is, it's impossible to understand. It's positive and potentially negative, but really it's positive impact until you really think. We got, we, we got lucky. We got a slice of that. Right. And, and if I were to run into anyone from the team from that time, I just interviewed Akash Jane and, you know, we were, I was fighting half the interview not to talk about India, but we both wanted to so bad because there was just so many common, entertaining, crazy stories that we had to tell each other. Um, and it's just that bond. It is not to sound cheesy. It, it is special, you know, uh, with, with every, everyone, like, like we said, it was only a couple of years, but, um, going through something intense like that, uh, especially in a country like India is very, we're lucky. I think it's a very unique experience. So, okay. A few things. One, and this is more the getting to know you part. So, you know, I know, you know, before, uh, Ever Scouts, you had, launched Union, I think, in your home. You're Durhamite. Is that what they're called? Durhamites? Durhamites? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I grew up in North Carolina. North Carolina. Uh, and, and Union was a social club for everyone, kind of a short summary. I know before that was Bond. I remember you telling me like you guys actually had to build this robot, right? I don't know. I can't remember. It was something insane. Yeah, handwriting technology. Jesus Christ. It's all, only you, Sonny, could think of these things. This is amazing. It wasn't, I didn't set out to build handwriting robots because, again, that would be crazy. I set out to build <laughs> like, personalized experience and handwritten notes are amazing. And how do you do that at scale? That was the exercise. Yeah. Well, so I think this all goes back to you as a person. So, you know, from what I know of you and having known you for a little bit of time, your main focus, I feel like, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, is human connection, building community, using technology to figure out how to build that community and connection. And it feels like in all these steps, the, you know, the bond union, there's a common theme of that. Do you agree? Do you feel like you've been, been able to accomplish that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I work, I, I believe there's a better way all the time. I'm an extreme optimist. You are. You know? And as I think that, and, and I, to some extent, for better or for worse, I always think about what the future is going to look like. I'm a planner. Like, what could it be? And why could it be? And how can we make it happen? And then let's just like put our heads down and make it happen. That's my, that is like, I'm not, there are many things that I'm not good at, but my gift I've realized over time is that if I want something to come to pass, I can figure out a way to make it come to pass. And, but why, why should it? So that's what we're, that's all we're trying to do. It's like, you know, before uh, Bond's exit, you, I didn't get to go to these like really cool like clubs. And then you get invited if you get, if you have some, some level of like external success, that's what drove Union. It was like, all of a sudden you get invited to all these things and get to meet people. And I thought that was cool, but I just remember how I didn't used to get to do that. And I was like, what about the pre-successful version of me, what, how could we make those experiences for anyone? Because actually all the potential lies in the people who haven't done the stuff yet. Or who are not, who are not invited, right? Who don't get included. That, that's where great stuff comes from people who care a lot and are willing to work hard. 
and are committed to doing a great work. That's what we do on our teams. And, and that's what I'm trying to show. That's what I'm trying to be. I might not get it right, but I will try really, really hard. And that's it. Look, I think the best leaders have to be optimists. That's, you know, that's, that's what I've seen. So cheesy podcast question, but I got to ask at the end of your career, whenever that is, even though I can't imagine you ever retiring, but uh, what would you want to be known for? Well, what I don't, you're right. I don't think that there's a career end. I, think, I know. Well, I think it's a lifestyle, you know? Sure. But, uh, sure. Um, uh, but somebody who in, enjoyed, enjoyed life and lived life to the fullest. I think you're doing pretty well at that. That's pretty good. I like it. First of all, on, on a side note, because we didn't get to your education and all that. We had, I had three more sections for you, but, um, what the heck is Lord Rothamir Scholar at Oxford University? Are you a knight? Like, what is this? No, but it's amazing. A, it is a very, it is a very fancy sounding, um, I love it. I was like, is he knighted? Like, yeah. what? No. Okay. Um, okay. it is a, it was a, it's a program, um, it's a it's a Duke Oxford program where you spend time abroad, and I think I was like studying torts law or something. But I'm just gonna write that you got knighted and just yeah die. yeah yeah okay I like it. Ultimate collaboration. Who would you want to work with that you haven't yet? Probably the the company that would be most exciting right now for us to collaborate would be Microsoft. So Satya Nadella, um, because Microsoft to me represents a very interesting place. Um, you know they've They've, um, they're in the gaming space. Minecraft does a lot of interesting things around education. You know, they have a lot of um, opportunities around adults and education too with LinkedIn. Um, and I think that they have all of the pieces in place to really make enormous amounts of transformation in what we learn and how we learn it. And Satya Nadella individually could change how people learn, honestly. Do you know him? Have you connected I, with them? No, I, I don't. But I'm putting that out okay. there now because. All right, it's uh, going to happen. I think that's that's probably the person most well suited from where I sit, and it comes to all these conversations around content, education, the metaverse, technology. I think that's a, I think that's the person who could do it. Man, what a good guy! You know, ever since I've known Sunny. I know he's one of those guys that really does walk the walk, talk the talk. He's always interested in helping people, not just within his community, but also those that really want to do interesting things. He really does care. Um, and he's always followed up with me throughout these years to see what I was up to. So thank you, Sonny. It's been fantastic chatting. And I hope you guys check out Everscouts. Go to everscouts.com. Um, it's a pretty cool concept. As always, you can follow me at Tucker.podcast. I hope you guys are signing up for my newsletter, amitucker.substack.com. I'm actually really getting into it. And uh, I'll see you fools next week. Thanks. This is Tuckered Out. <laughs>